Okay, so we're in chapter 21 now, right? Yes. All right, seven more chapters, and we will be done. (laughs) Moving on to to something else. It's always fun to start something new, and after you get down to the last few chapters, it's wanting to hurry up and start something new. But we're going to finish. We're going to finish it. We're going to finish the course. That's what this is This is about, this first uh, 17 verses. Um, basically, what we're going to see, just to give you an overview, there's a, whole lot of, there's a whole lot of stuff in here about we went to this island, we went to this city, we went to that city. Um, the, the, what did you do? It was a spider. I just killed it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it was big. We're going to talk about finishing strong, finishing um, the... Remember what Paul said last time? He said, you know, I count my life not valuable to myself, but to finish the ministry, finish the course of the ministry. We're going to see just how that plays out because the whole, the whole, this whole section in a nutshell is going to teach us one very important thing. I don't have any a lot of points for you or anything like that, but it's going to teach us that everybody, I mean everybody that Paul comes into contact with in these 17 verses is going to tell him not to go to Jerusalem. Everybody. The whole, the whole, every person, every church, every, even by the end of this section, even the people he's traveling with, his companions, are going to tell him not to go. And he's going to go anyway. He's going to go anyway. He's going to, his course is to go to Jerusalem. And that's what God has told him to do. And even though everybody has, is telling him, do not go, he's going to do it. He's going to finish what God has told him to, finish what God has told him to do. So... Let's start in, uh, if we read just first four verses, it's going to be a lot of islands, a lot of, a lot of cities. Um, he says, and when it came to pass, after that, we were gotten from them. Who is them? Anybody know? The Ephesian elders, remember? That's who he was talking to. That's a weird way to put it. We were gotten from them. That's a weird way to, weird way to say the, the word there, it means when we tore ourselves away, when we, when we, it, it's almost like ripping, like a, you know, uh, oh, right, right. It was an emotional thing. They were, yeah, probably all, all that going on. He's, you know, they were, they were upset. He, you know, he was going to Jerusalem. They knew, they all knew everybody in this whole section knows, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to end up dead. I mean, they're going to end. I mean, we're going to see a a prophet come forward and, and tell him that for sure. But they all knew that. Paul even said that in the last chapter. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city that bonds and afflictions and imprisonment is awaiting me. They all knew where he was headed. They all knew what was going to happen there. And so when he he every every place he goes to and every place that he leaves, it's going to be like six or seven of them just in these seventeen verses. They're going to be really emotional. Departures, really emotional things, and it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard. And what I want you to see—that's why I'm telling you the whole point before we even start. I want you to see that even in the midst of—I mean, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking 
to depart from people that you love this way and and knowing that everybody's telling you this is not a good idea and you don't need to go but you know that the Holy Spirit's told you this is what needs to happen and even though all that's going on he just even we're going to see Paul himself gets emotional in this in this section he's going to say he's going to show us that finishing the course finishing the ministry is what's important it's not when he said I don't count my life as valuable except to finish the ministry he really meant it because any of us would have would have you know if people that we loved was crying and saying please don't go I mean that would just tear your heart out that you had to go but he understood that he he knew that he was on a mission he was on a mission for Christ and he was going to go and do uh, what Christ told him to so that's what it means we had gotten from them came to pass that after uh after we had gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course to Kos is the word, C-O-S. I don't know why it says Kos, but it's in the day following unto Rhodes. And I put a, in the outline, I put a map and showed you all these different places. So you, you got the outline, you can go and look at the map and it'll show you all these places. Following unto Rhodes and from there to Patara and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia where we went aboard and set forth. If you don't know where all these places are, he uh, he, he he left, he sailed right past Miletus was where he was. That was right by Ephesus where he called the Ephesian elders. And then he went out into the Mediterranean Sea. He, he went to Kos which is a, a city there. Rhodes is a little island in, in the middle and then Patara, and then he went to Phoenicia, which is Phoenicia is the whole region where uh, Caesarea and uh, close to Syria and all that. So he's almost back home now when he's in when he's in Phoenicia. Uh, he stopped at. Uh, we went aboard and set forth. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, oh no, Cyprus is in the middle of the Mediterranean. That's the island. Uh, we went. Let we, we left it on the left hand. We didn't stop there. We went past it, sailed into Syria, and landed at Tyre. Okay, now they're getting close to getting close to Jerusalem. Remember where Tyre is mentioned in the Gospels as you know Tyre and Sidon. They went out to see Jesus and Gentiles and all that. That they stopped there because the ship had to uh, had to unload its cargo. It says, "In finding disciples, we tarried there seven days." So when it says finding disciples, the, the word there means to look up. So basically he's saying we looked up disciples. So there's a question whether or not he knew these disciples or whether he just looked looked up some disciples in the city of Tyre. Uh, we don't know for sure, so I can't say definitely he, he did not or he did know, but it almost sounds like he didn't know them until he got there. It sounds like it says to, to look up. He, he looked up disciples when he got there is kind of what it's saying. And he stayed with them for seven days. Do you see the fellowship? Let's just presume for a minute that he didn't know them uh, until he got there. That's kind, of a, that's kind of amazing fellowship that they would bring him in the house and and all his companions stay there seven days. Um, and then when he gets ready to leave, this is where we're going to see our first emotional emotional scene. It says, We tarried there seven days, who said to Paul, through the Spirit, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when he had accompanied those days, when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. So we got this first emotional departure. Uh, 
Um, there is a lot of debate about what it means that they told him through the Spirit exactly not to go to Jerusalem. What do you think that means? And here's the question before you start answering. Here's the problem that we have. <clears throat> Are they prophesying through the Spirit? Like speaking for God. When you say prophesy, a lot of people mess this up completely. To prophesy doesn't mean to tell the future in every instance. 99 times out of 100 in the Old Testament, when someone prophesied, they were speaking the words of God. It's as simple as that. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you speak what God has said, God's telling me to, you know, all that. And today we know we have scripture to uh, level that out. So if somebody comes up to you, you know, if somebody comes up to you and says, God says you need to go to church today. Well, yeah, he probably does because the Bible says we're supposed to be fellowship with each other. Now, if somebody comes up and says, God told me to tell you you need to leave your wife, you pretty much know that, that ain't God talking to them joking. They, 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 they messed up. So the way we test, the way we test whether God is speaking is by the revealed word of God. And so what they were saying at this time, the, don't think there wasn't about, I heard that this week. Y'all know who Andy Stanley is? Y'all ever heard that name? Yeah. Man, he is way out in left field, Jack. I'm talking about way out in left field. He is talking. Anyway, y'all can see the controversy. It's all over the place. He does said that we need to get our focus off the Bible and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the, the, reason I, the reason I bring his name up <clears throat> is because, um, is because uh, why did I bring his name up? You're talking about through the Spirit. You said you know Andy Stanley. Yeah. You're talking about Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son. Yeah. He's way out in left field. Really? Yeah, really. Um, the point that the point that we're making here is that when 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 someone says, "Thus saith the Lord," the only thing. Oh yeah, I remember what it was. He was saying he was saying in the first century there wasn't no Bible. He was saying there wasn't any Bible in the first century, so we can't base our Christianity on the Bible. We can't, you know, because they didn't have one in the first. That's bull. They had the whole Old Testament, and that was the scriptures they used. Paul, Peter, John, quoting it all the time. Every sermon they do, uh, church fathers, first, second century, quoting scriptures over and over again. Yes, sir, they did have. That's why I brought his name up. So uh, we test everything by scripture. That was the point I was making. Even even here in the early church, in the in the Old Testament. I mean, in the, in the early New Testament, before the New Testament was completely compiled together, it was being written at this time, they had Scripture to test everything by. They had the Old Testament. That was when Paul told Timothy he was in prison. He said, bring me, bring me the Scriptures. Bring me, the, bring me my books. Bring me the Old Testament. And every sermon that he preached was had quotations of the Old Testament. And so when it says they spoke through the Spirit, the question we have... In verse uh, 5, no, verse, yeah, into verse 4, says, Who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem? You got a few choices as to what this means. So we can talk about it a little bit. Number one, if they were speaking prophetically through the Spirit as if God was telling them to tell Paul not to go the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem by the Spirit, Paul disregarded what the Spirit said because he went anyway. That's right. That's the, the second thing was the spirit contradicting himself by speaking not to go through these people, but telling Paul he should have went earlier. 
So there's some question as what it means by the what does it mean that they spoke by the Spirit that he should not go to Jerusalem? What do you think? You just want me to give you the answer? Yeah, I think that's the answer. The answer, go ahead. They just didn't want him to go. They just didn't want him to leave. They wanted to keep him from themselves. The Spirit had testified over and over again. We saw it in the last chapter. What was the Spirit testifying? In every city, what's awaiting? Bonds, afflictions, imprisonment. The Spirit showed them the same as He showed Paul, the same as He's been saying this whole time. Paul, you're going to Jerusalem and they're going to get you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to imprison you. And I think, I think that um, they just didn't want Him to go. Um, I don't think it was a command from the Spirit for Him not to go. They, they spoke to him. There, there's some that would say that this is their own spirit through, through their spirit. You know, by spirit, you know, in their spirit they told him not to go to. There's lots of things. It doesn't tell us for sure. One thing I can say for sure is that uh, Luke would not contradict himself in the space of a paragraph. And he told us in the very last chapter that Paul was told by the spirit, bound in the spirit is what he said, to go to Jerusalem. Bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And so what we see is that there's some people that also say that Paul didn't believe that they were actually speaking by the Spirit. So he just went anyway. Uh, There's a lot of theories, uh, but I think that you and I can harmonize it best by saying that the Spirit revealed to them, just like the Spirit has revealed to so many others, that Paul is going to suffer when he gets to Jerusalem. And they because they loved Paul, didn't want him to go. And you see this emotional departure, don't you? It wasn't just like he just left the Ephesian elders and they were emotional. They tore themselves away from, from them. But here, it, it's not just the men. It says they brought out the wives and the kids, all the families, all the families of the church at Tyre. They came out and they left the city with him and as he was getting on the boat they all knelt down on the beach and they prayed. What do you think they were praying for? Safe trip. What I mean it doesn't say. I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't have any definitive answer for you. I'm just asking. You know, since where you said that it had been revealed through the spirit that he would suffer persecution that maybe, you know, that God would intervene. God would intervene, save him from persecution. That's certainly possible. If you had a loved one that was uh, going to the deepest part of the Congo to be a missionary, what would you be praying? Safe trip. Lord, change their mind. Lord, change their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've seen it before where it says that, you know, Stephen looked up into the heavens and he was so mystified that he didn't feel the pain. Maybe maybe that's what they were praying for. Maybe he would have strength right. to endure the persecution. Yeah. That's very possible. Very possible. Well, that's where people mess you up sometimes because you feel like God has spoke to you. And then you have people who you admire who are Christians, friends or family. Sometimes you go, well, maybe I misunderstood. I mean, you know, that, that, is, a, that is a tough yeah. dilemma. Yeah, especially when you don't have any clear word in Scripture. Like, I may feel like 
God wants me to move to East Tennessee. I really want to move to East Tennessee. But nowhere in the Bible is it going to say, Jason, you need to move to, you know. So I have to decide, is that God telling me to move? Or is it God telling me to change jobs? Or God telling me to sell my house? God telling me to send my kid to this college or that college? God, I mean, you have to, you have to with wisdom and counsel and prayer and all those things, you have to make the, I'm, I'm not planning on moving. I'm just using that as an example. I'm just saying, you know, whatever things that we have to decide that are not explicitly laid out in scripture we use the principles of scripture and we use uh, the spirit of God and praying and seeking wise counsel and when when wise counsel uh, in this case not just we're seeing it here in the elders they tore themselves away from them if he's elders and then the Tyrian believers here are telling them not to go and we're going to see it two or three times again don't go don't go don't go it's like the whole church everybody that is in Paul's circle Everybody he comes in contact with, every city he goes to, even his own missionary companions by the end of this section are going to be saying, don't go. And he goes anyway, knowing that this is what God has told him to do. This is what needs to happen. Um, yeah, yeah, it's tough. The families go out with him. They pray. Um, and, uh, and he gets on the boat. In verse 7, it says he comes to... Uh, comes to uh, and when we finished our course from Tyre we came to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren there and abode with them a day saluted the word means to embrace them to wrap your arms around them doesn't just mean he walked up and gave them like the military salute or anything like that he greeted them or you know however you want to say it um, and the next day they stayed the night there and the next day they went of Paul's company and departed and came to Caesarea they're getting really close to Jerusalem now and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Do you remember the last time we saw Philip? Who is this Philip, by the way? Is it Philip the apostle? Did you know there was an apostle named Philip? Is that? No, it's not him. It's not Philip the apostle. Where did we last see Philip? Yes, he is Philip the Evangelist. He is the Philip that went to Samaria and preached to Samaria. He was, yes, chapter 8. He was left in Caesarea in chapter 8, and evidently he settled there because he's still in Caesarea. So, and, huh? And he got some daughters. Been a busy fellow. This is uh, maybe, there's estimates, it's probably a good. 20, 25 years since the Ethiopian eunuch now. Uh, he's, he's in Caesarea. He's got his daughters. Um, one of the seven. Who is that? The seven deacons of the, of the church. Remember that? Acts chapter 6. The first seven deacons. Who was the other deacon that was named in those seven that was famous? Stephen. Stephen. What happened to Stephen? Who was standing holding the cloaks when Stephen was stoned? Hmm? It was Paul. Wonder what that visit was like when Paul came to Philip's house. Think Philip remembered? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, it was all good. They're part of the church now. They know Paul is converted and all that. But man, that was kind of probably a little awkward, don't you think? 
It's like... If it was 25 years, though, I'm sure that they had... Oh, no, I, there was no animosity. There was no... There's, we're not even going to see any... There's nothing to suggest. I just, I just thought it was kind of strange. I mean, yeah. you'd think about stuff like that, you know? Doesn't mean he forgot. <laughs> Might have been a little awkward. Yeah. But I honestly think that, you know, um, Philip, knowing Paul's man as a different person, he may have greeted or embraced him differently as well. You know, you said it, he probably didn't do it, but he was probably like, Woo. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know what you're capable of, but you're a changed person just like I am. Yeah. Well, and we know it's brethren. 20 years and Paul has done amazing things for Christ since then. So there's not even a hint that there was any argument or worry or anything like that. I just it was in my brain. I thought that would be be a little awkward. Huh, Philip? Remember me? <laughs> just kind of strange. Um, what about his daughters that preached? Okay, so we're going to talk about that, are we? Well, well, go ahead. What do you think? Do you think women should be ministers? No. No. Why did they do it? It's a simple. They were prophesying. They were what? Prophesying. Participles ing, um, because it is an activity that they're shown to be doing. It's not an office. They did not hold the office of prophet. Of course, the office of prophet is not. There's not an office of prophet. I mean, I guess you could say people prophesy in the fact that they they preach. But what what we see here is that even. The, the, thing that, the thing that struck me about his daughters is Luke doesn't tell us anything other than he, they were there. He doesn't tell us what they said. He doesn't tell us how they ministered, how they prophesied, what they, you know. Now, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Um, boy, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble right here. <laughs> Paul makes it clear to us that the office... Of pastor, the office of pastor is for men. Now, if that makes me sound chauvinist, I'm I'm a dinosaur. Sue me. Um, not because women are incapable. That is, I know I know personally. I know women that would probably make really good pastors, but they they won't because they know that's not the role that they were given by 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 God. And the reason the reason why that's so and all this I'm taking from Timothy, we can go and look at those. The reason why that's so is because um the woman's now when I say role, you know that's not inferior, right? Jesus submitted to the Father. Danny Becker smiling like I'm walking off into a bird into a bear trap or something. I don't care. Jesus Jesus submitted to the Father. That doesn't mean Jesus was inferior to the Father. It means he chose to take the role of doing the Father's will. The same way the, the wife submits to the husband doesn't mean they're both made in the image of God, both male, female created, they're equal in the eyes of God and in, in Christ there's no male, no female, no they're, as far as worth, value exactly the same but the role is that they are to be the helpmate of the husband in the house, in the family. Does that make sense? Does anybody disagree with me so far? I can prove my case of that. But now, of course, you know, but surely you know that submission does not mean doormat. 
or anything. I wish Dana was here. The one day she could not be, I'm going to call her and say the one day I needed her, she could stand up and tell you all about what it means to be submissive. It doesn't mean we get to let them walk all over you or, you know, do my laundry woman or something like that. It does not mean any of that stuff. It means you choose, you, you choose to be the helpmate. You say, choose to like be the helpmate. Christ did on the cross. Just like what Christ did for the Father. Yes, he submitted to the Father's will. Um, the problem is if you, have a, if you have a woman pastor... If you have a woman pastor, then not only do you have the woman pastor, but you have the woman's husband as well. Because she can't be over. She, If she is, uh, this is all way not where I want to go and it's way hypothetical. But if she is your pastor, then she is also under the authority of her husband, which makes her husband your pastor. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. Make sense? Yeah, because there's a church in Milan where... Don't be saying no names on the recording now. <laughs> but the husband and wife both are the pastors. Okay. And he does 90% of the preaching from the pulpit. Right. And she does it sometimes. Yeah. And it's just awful. Yes. Well, Paul says in Timothy, he says, I do not permit uh, the woman to teach or have authority over a man. Not because they're not able to teach, not because they're not valuable, not because of any of that. Exactly equal. In fact, Christianity, early Christianity was, I mean, it was, it was revolutionary in the way that it treated women. You know, women had, were not allowed to testify to anything in court in those days, but it was the testimony of women who first recognized Jesus' resurrection. It was the, the, you know, women were serving in the churches. And even here in this section, you see that they are, they are integral parts of the community of faith there in Caesarea. That's why I think he, he mentions it. Because he mentions it to show that even even what most of society in those days would consider not worth the time to listen to, they were part of the community of faith. They were actively a part of the community of faith. And, you know, they were... What? I do have a question. With this, do you think that that can mean that these daughters, you know, kind of do what women of our church does now? They go, like, house to house. And speak the word of the Lord like to other women. To other maybe, children. maybe it's possible. I can't say for sure because that was the that's the most surprising thing is because Luke doesn't tell us anything. He just said, "Hey, he went and stayed at Philip's house." And oh, by the way, Philip had four daughters. And the virgin daughters mean you don't have to be you know it doesn't mean that oh because they're virgins they were secretly able to prophesy. It just means they were of marrying age but were unmarried. And that in itself is. A, uh, amazing to me that if you were a woman of marrying age but you were unmarried, it was just assumed you're a virgin. I mean, that's, don't assume that today. But anyway, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother deal. So if you want, I'm not I'm not uh, it's a sensitive topic uh, but I'm not, I'm not scared of it. So I will tell you flat out that as far as scripture is concerned, I, I had a, let me just say this and then we'll move on. I had a, I used to do a radio thing. I did it off from the computer, but the radio deal was on, you know, on the West Coast. And they, they met with, it was like a pastor's panel. And they had some women on there sometimes. And we got into an argument about women 
preaching. And that text in First Timothy that says, I don't allow woman to have to teach or have authority over man, that came up and the woman that I was on the show with, uh, she said, well, Paul said a lot of things I don't agree with. <laughs> and so I said, oh, really? And she said, well, you know, it's like head coverings. You know, it was just the way it was back then, but the culture's changed and all those things. But you can't really say that because Paul, in the very next sentence in 1 Timothy, y'all know where that is? Somebody looked that up. It's in 1 Timothy. I don't... The very next sentence he says, the reason why that is so, he goes back to the creation. He said, because it was it was Adam who was created first and not Eve. So it can't be some cultural thing where, you know, the society's kind of changed and we're not like that anymore. And that's just the way they were back then. He points to the creation. Y'all found it yet? That is so not what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> Okay, it's um, 1 Timothy um, 2 and 9. Read it. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, not Eve. See, he goes back to the creation, and that's why, and that's why. And so, I do not believe that God ordains women to the pastorate. Doesn't mean he doesn't have them in ministry. Doesn't mean he doesn't have them speaking, you know, or not to the pastorate. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Any cries of outrage? Any objections? Now's the time. There's people at the hospital that disagree with me. The word is the word. Huh? It's here. Yeah. I wish I'm going to kick her in the head. <laughs> I wish Dana was here. She would stand up and she would tell you what submission is and why it's important and why I'm not a male chauvinist. And if you know Dana, she is a strong woman. She's not somebody who's going to lay down and just let somebody roll all over her or nothing like that. She is a strong career woman. She has excelled in every area that she's ever done anything in. She's gone higher than any nurse that has ever gone in uh, West Tennessee healthcare, and so she is she is not some kind of little miss. Uh, I'm just going to follow my husband anywhere, but she will tell you what biblical There's submission. Dana. Good Lord, have mercy! I'm gonna kick her in a. <laughs> Get in here. We're running out of time. I need to. You get in here. You come in and sit on the front row. I, hey, come here. I need you for real. I need. Yeah, you need. I need you. Come here. I'm serious. I'm serious. Come here. You're gonna. You're gonna say. Come here. You got time. Get. You gonna think about the wife submitting to the husband. You're gonna say something here in a minute. 
I need you. I need your help. We're talking about. Hold on. I'm gonna let me finish this part right here. You got a, a minute or two to think about it. <laughs> so, the point of showing that the unmarried daughters prophesied is it's a fulfillment of Acts two seventeen. When Peter was preaching, he quoted Joel. He said, "What? He said your sons and daughters will prophesy and dream dreams." He was. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy. He's kind of showing. That's why I think Luke gives absolutely no attention to them other than just to mention. Because this is a fulfillment of what's going on. Uh, all the society is, uh, you know, all the societies included in, in the text that we were talking about why women should not be pastors. Uh, and they were asking me about my beliefs and I've told them without equivocation. Uh, but we were talking about submission, being submissive to your husband and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted you to kind of explain it just so just so I don't look like I'm some kind of male chauvinist pig or something like that which I mean if it is it is I really don't care but so tell them what you think about submission the wife submitting to the husband stand up here come on stand up oh no yeah come on I'm serious come on I'm not hey for I'm real I'm not standing up for real I'm not I, they can hear me from here can y'all hear her no they can't hear you Oh. Hey, look, this oh, is important. Like it's important. I know it's important. Okay. They can hear me. Stand, Even though I'm snotty, they can Come hear on. me. I don't want to stand up. <laughs> Dana. Huh? You see, you see how submission works, don't you? Dana. I know, I know. You should have been here. He's bragging on you. I can leave again. He's silently I was telling them how wonderful you are. So, come on. Hey, look, we're running out of time. Okay, what do you want me to say? You're Explain it. Submission. Wife, submit to your husband. Okay, so submission, first of all, it took me a long time to learn it, but it's not. we're not a doormat. But I do believe... Wait, can you hear her, Michelle? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. All right, they can hear you. Go ahead. Um, that's, that was my view for a long time, but... I do believe that we women are emotional creatures and it's very hard for us to make objective decisions all the time because our emotions get in the way more than men's emotions get in the way. So I believe the man should be the leader of the household. He should um, treat his wife with respect and in turn the wife should treat her husband with respect. So I, I do not look at submission as an ugly term like I used to look at it as. But it took me a long time to get there and searching the scriptures. And I find that when I love you the way that I'm supposed to, you in turn love me the way you're supposed to. But if I'm not doing my part, you don't do your part. So it's kind of a back and forth. But when we love each other in the right way uh, and see it, then it all comes together perfectly, which is what I believe God meant for it to be. Um, But... I have found through life experiences that even though I'm a very educated woman, I am very liberated. I'm, you know, I can make my own decisions. I, I could live without Jason, should I so choose. However, so, <laughs> however, um, right back at you. <laughs> no, baby, you couldn't. I did a pretty good job this week while you were in Chicago. However, I mean, my point behind that, he has protected me in things uh, where I was not able to be objective, like family situations and things where um, 
he has done what is right by our family when I wanted to do something more emotional, like for my family, you know, mother, father, whoever it was. So he steps out and he's objective and he looks at the big picture where sometimes I think we as women get involved in being the caretaker, the fixer, uh, to fix everything. And sometimes it's not our place to fix things. You know, it's God's place to fix things and we want to do it. So that's do, do you think women should be pastors? No, absolutely not. Or leaders of this country. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. So, yes. I've done a study before God created to be his helpmate, and it's all about submission and honoring and respect for your husband. And that's exactly what our place is, is to make our man a better man. You know, we are to honor and to respect and to do what we have to do in order to lift our men up to be more man, a man of God. You know, we pray for him. We, you know, we teach our kids. You know, those kind of things that we that we do in our home and in our jobs, mainly our home, is what makes the man more objective because he watches over that as we, you know, work underneath to make him that man. And he of doesn't God. have to focus on those things. That's right. You know, so, you know, a lot of people, and even in my life, you know, you get into this crazy cycle of, you know, not sending out respect, and you don't get respect, or not sending out honor, you don't get honor, you know, and I think a lot of marriages get into that, where, where it's just repeated of not, work, you know, working each other up and lifting each other up like they should. You know, I believe that women should not be in any kind of authority in you know, government or issues, church issues, that kind of thing. I just don't. I was raised like that, and I believe they don't. Because we're our job is to lift those men up, to pray for those men, to pray for those officials in those in those offices in, in church or government or whatever. You know, so I think our job is honor and respect to our husbands, to our men, to our fathers. You know, the ones that are over authority of us. You know. I mean, that's just my thoughts. That sure. goes along, first of all, it's biblical that a woman should not hold rank or office, especially within the church. Um, there's scriptures, I can't cite it right now. Jason, tell you we read exactly them. where, oh, you did? We already read them. Where it was, so. And there's more than the that Testament. one. There's more than that just and one, there's yeah. There's more than that. And then, um, I lost my train of thought on that as far as, you said something else about lifting the man out, and I lost my train of thought, sorry. I'm kind of snotty. It's all good. You liberated, though. You go there. Well, liberated woman. We are, though, as women, from the scriptures, what our job is, is given a job, is that the elderly women are supposed to teach the younger women. You know, younger women are supposed to teach children. That is what we are to do. You know, and, and to go back with what Tammy was saying about honoring and submitting to your husband. <coughs> Part of that has to go because that is what God commanded. You have to do that even when you feel your husband doesn't deserve it. Yeah, and if you're a man here and you're elbowing your wife, you're an idiot. So I know what I was going to say. Letting you know. So when I said, <laughs> what's your wife? Does that mean they're what? Never wrong. They're never wrong. Oh no, no. That was a, I'm gonna go back to the liberated thing. You know, being yes, in wrong. Chicago this past week. Yeah. You know, I, said, I was sometimes they wrong. I was liberated, but don't tell her I said that though. 
But, you know, a man and a woman complete each other in more ways than one, you know, and being gone in a big city in Chicago, I mean, it really showed me with us three women being out there, you know, I mean, you don't just go out and walk down the streets at night without a man. I mean, you know, so if we really could take care of ourselves um, and didn't need a man to protect us and watch over us, I mean, you see it every day. I mean, how many of y'all would walk around the streets of Brownsville or go over to Scott Street? I mean, you know. Especially in Chicago because they don't recognize your gun permit. <laughs> all right, let me get done. This was all that, all that from Luke had, I mean, from Philip had four prophesying daughters. And I think that he skips over it just to let us know that that prophecy had been fulfilled. Now, here comes this guy named Agabus. Agabus is, holds the office of prophet, which is a little different, but he was a prophet and he had come from Jerusalem and we have seen Agabus before. Does anybody remember where we last saw Agabus? It says in verse, where are we at? Ten. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Where have we seen Agabus before? Do y'all remember Agabus? My goodness. Agabus has prophesied to us before in Acts chapter 11. There is the church at Pentecost. Huh? No, in Acts chapter 11. Antioch, you mean? What did I say? Pentecost. Yes. Oh, I mean Agabus prophesied that there would be a famine in Jerusalem under the reign of Claudius. So Agabus is always full of good news, isn't he? (laughs) So anyway, he says, this is what happens. And when he came, and when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, which is his belt. We'd probably call it more of a sash. And he bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He was acting out a prophecy, something the Old Testament prophets did quite a bit. Ezekiel was told to lay on his side and, and burn a little model of the city. And Isaiah was told to go naked for a period of time. And they were told to act out these prophecies. Same thing we see here. And when he had heard, when we had heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Who is we? Who is writing this? Luke. 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 We are the missionary people that came and traveled with Paul. It says, when we heard this, we and they that of, of this place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. So here you see, not only the Ephesian elders didn't want him to go, the Tyrian believers didn't want him to go, now the people there in Caesarea didn't want him to go, and his own missionary group didn't want him to go. Everybody that Paul knew, everybody he was in contact with, was telling him, do not go to Jerusalem. And look at what Paul says. It says, and then he answered, what mean ye to weep and break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You can see the emotion uh, that, I mean, can you imagine how Paul was stressing over all this? All these people were crying and telling them, you don't please don't go. They're going to kill you. They're going to imprison you. Don't go there. And he says, what are you doing? Don't you see you're breaking my heart? Stop it. The Holy Spirit's told me to go. I have to go. I'm ready to go. Not only be bound, I'm ready to go and die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is... um, it, they thought they were helping. 
Don't you think? They weren't, they weren't saying, well, we're going to counteract what God has said. We're gonna... They thought they were doing a good thing. They thought they were doing right. They thought they were helping Paul. They thought they were giving him good advice. Same thing that Peter did when Jesus told him about being crucified. Peter said, no, that's not going to happen. And what did Jesus say? He said, get behind me, Satan. You like the things of man, not the things of God. They thought they were helping. They thought they were giving good advice. A lot of times when we give advice that seems good and seems right and it may be, uh, may be good, may be right, it's not what God's plan has. People do this all the time on Facebook. I said it last week. Facebook is, uh, I call it the Internet Ignorance aggregator it is you you can say i've just you know I, I i just robbed a bank and somebody will say it's okay we're you know the government owes you this anyway girl go ahead i mean you you do anything you anything you want to do and somebody will be there to comment and say oh you it's okay it's no problem you deserve it go ahead that is not that is not the case. That's not the case. Here it even seems like it's a good idea. Paul, you think he was tempted to not go? Oh uh, yeah. That's why it was breaking his heart. It was like, y'all got to quit it. Y'all got to quit it. And when he told them that, they finally I'm trying to hurry. We're almost done. It says uh, and when he would not, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, "The will of the Lord be done." And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. He's finally in Jerusalem. There we went. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought us to the house of one Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we lodged. And we were there. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. He has finally made it into Jerusalem. That's where we'll pick up next week. He is now in Jerusalem and bad things are going to start happening right off the bat. The next section we're going to see is very interesting. So you need to be here. It's about becoming all things to all men. It's very, very interesting in the life of Paul. Um, and it's it's instructive for us as well. What I want you to see, just like we started off, everybody is telling him to do X. Everybody, even Luke, even the ministry team with him, people have traveled with him, people that love him. Everybody is telling him to do one thing and the Holy Spirit has told him to do something else. And it breaks his heart. It's emotional. It's horrible when he has to leave every one of these cities and people are crying and praying and all these things. But he finishes. He he proves that what he said earlier, I count my life as not valuable except to finish the course that, the, that God has given me. He proves that that. That is true by showing that he is going to go forward and do what the Holy Spirit told him to do, regardless of all of these people saying, well, this is what you ought to do. Well, this is what you ought to do. OK, everybody understand. Any questions? If you want to talk about the whole women thing again, we can do that. Let me I'll just compile the verses and we'll, we'll get into it. I don't have no problem with that. OK. All right, Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing. Be with us as we go into service and, and uh, let us hear your word and let us be a, let us be a, a part of